0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Couch Talk. This is Dr. Anna Kabeka and I'm so thrilled tonight to have on the phone with us Dr. Eva Agee, who's speaking about uterine health and the uterine health crisis and why the uterus is so important for lifelong wellness. So we'll be having a beautiful discussion, open discussion. And remember that this call is about you, so we want to hear your questions, your feedback, and answer any any questions that you may have on the line tonight so um, I will tell you about our guest in just a minute but a reminder and our little disclaimer here that the opinions expressed on this site and Couch Talk and by myself and my guests are published for educational and informational purposes and are not intended as a diagnosis treatment or as a substitute for professional medical advice diagnosis and treatment. Please consult a doctor or local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific health care or medical needs or concerns. And the site does not endorse or recommend any commercial products, medical treatments, pharmaceuticals, brand names, processes, or services, or the use of any trade form or corporation name is for the information and education of the viewing public. So I appreciate your understanding of that. Now let me tell you about our beautiful, charming, amazing, and brilliant guest tonight. Dr. Eve Agee, who is an international best-selling author, a medical anthropologist, certified life coach, and motivational speaker. Her best-selling book and one that I highly recommend is called The Uterine Health Companion, a holistic guide to lifelong wellness. It is the winner of the International Book Awards for Women's Health and is also an award-winning finalist for the USA Best Books of Book Awards, Women's Health category. In her work, Dr. AG has held groups, has held with groups and individuals. She has provided an innovative whole-person approach to self-discovery, healing, and personal and professional transformation that helps people more easily connect to their innate wisdom and power. I love that. She is the founder of the Transform Coaching Academy. Her coaching programs and training courses inspire thousands of people throughout the world to create abundant lives and careers they love. She has a menopause coaching program, right? Exactly. exactly. Yes. Definitely. So focusing on the transition periods and at life wherever you are now. Um, gosh, she's been a you know a leader in women's health, and before becoming a leader in the field of coaching. Eve was a political appointee for President Clinton. In her work for the White House, she helped create policies and programs to improve the health and well-being of women and children. She has served as the director of the first National Early Childhood Summit taught at the University of Virginia. She's conducted research on women's health internationally and speaks nationally on women's wellness and empowerment. Um, Dr. Eve holds a Ph.D. and an M.A. in Cultural Anthropology from the University of Virginia. She also has a B.A. in International Relations from the College of William & Mary, also in Virginia. And she is just amazing. And I totally fell in love with her work through an introduction from a mutual friend. And um, welcome, Dr. Ag. welcome tonight on um, my talk Talk.
1: Thank, well, thank you so much for having me here.
0: Tonight. You are so welcome. My pleasure. Really, thank you for being here. We, I know that I've had uh, been telling patients all week all month actually especially if you have a uterus so 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 important we're going to be talking about that and the importance of it and and really um the valuable role that our uterus holds in our life but first tell us about what is a medical anthropologist oh great
1: question well a medical anthropologist studies the way societies and cultures think about health and medicine in their bodies so in different societies and cultures, even though I think often for us we think about the way we think about our health and our bodies, we just think, oh, that's just the way it is. That's just a fact. But actually throughout time, throughout history, and also throughout the world, different societies and cultures actually consider health and the way, even the way we think about our bodies and how we um, treat health and, and the different kinds of medical systems. There's a lot of diversity in those concepts and the way we think about those things. So medical anthropologists study that and study attitudes about health and wellness and, and our bodies and our relationships to our bodies.
0: Oh, fantastic. So how did you get interested in this? You, you live in Arkansas. Are you from
1: Arkansas? I'm from Arkansas, and I grew up here. And when I was 19, I moved to West Africa and when I arrived there, I was exposed to really different ways of thinking about women's health and women's bodies, and I was just totally intrigued. I um, Actually, even growing up in Arkansas, my mother's parents were sort of from the, the mountains, like the you know, sort of um, older, more traditional part of the state, and they practiced things like reflexology and alternative things. We think of alternative healing. Sometimes we think of this as being modern, but they actually – were more ancient with a lot of cultures, even in the U.S. But when I moved to West Africa, what I found was that menstruation and menopause were really celebrated, and there were completely different ways of thinking about um, the body, and particularly women's bodies. Where and where I happened to be, it was there were a lot of really positive things, and also the healing and medicine was completely different. And so I just became totally intrigued by it and came back finished my undergraduate, and during that time, I found out that medical anthropology existed, and I really fell in love with it.
0: I could see how you could do that. I mean, definitely, you taught. you know, when we've spoken before, your life and, in Africa and just, the, you know, the interest that you've held in just exploring native native tribes and native native cultures and... Their perception of the woman body and the roles of our breast, of our uterus, of our reproduction, and how we're perceived um, has transcended time and evolved. And it's incredibly fascinating. So, what drove you to focus on um, the uterus and, and write your amazing book, The Uterine Health Companion? Oh, thank you so much.
1: Well, you know, when I was in West Africa, one of the things that I found was that menopause was considered really positively. And there, menopause as well as in many other traditional cultures throughout the world, menopause is considered a time where women literally it's as if, you know, periods of menstruation is considered creative, creative energy. And when women stop that flow, what's what's considered in many cultures is that creative energy then builds up, and women get to use, instead of using that creative energy perhaps to have children in earlier reproductive years, that then once someone goes through the menopause transition, they have that creative energy for themselves and also to share with their community. And so it's considered a time of great wisdom, of spiritual connection, and and, and where I was in West Africa, as well as many Native American and indigenous Um, cultures throughout Africa and Asia, as well as um, South America and many of these cultures, it's considered a time where women are really more connected to their intuitive power and have great vision that they can share with their communities and and help. And so I became totally um, fascinated with that and wondered, okay, if menopause is considered that way here where I was in southern Togo, where women really became, it wasn't until they went through menopause that they became master healers and leaders in certain ways. I said, okay, what's going on with us in the U.S. that we're looking at menopause in a really negative fashion? So I decided to come back. I continued to do research there, Mm -hmm. but I came back here to the U.S. And I started doing research on menopause in the U.S. And one of the things I did was I observed hundreds of doctor-patient consultations. And when I was doing that, many of the physicians that I worked with said, you know, why don't you just, um, instead of just, you know, observing the women who've already gone through menopause, why don't you just follow, I would follow different physicians or, or work in an office following and observing them as an anthropologist for for months. I did it for a couple of years, but I'd be in a different center for a few months, up to six months at a time. And they'd say, why don't you just kind of come along into all the different, you know, different consultations I have.
0: And what I noticed
1: that the issue wasn't it wasn't as if women were going through menopause in the U.S. and that's when the problems were starting. What I got to see by being an anthropologist in a clinical setting was that there was basically a uterus, uterine crisis going on. That women of all ages, really, you know, even some in their 20s, but certainly by their 30s, we were having we were seeing you know tremendous numbers of women with with severe uterine problems. And I'm not talking about uterine cancer. Because cervical cancer, because of the pap um, test, cervical cancer has actually gone down in the U.S., which is fantastic news. So what I'm looking at is benign uterine problems. And that, that, what I kept on seeing, you know, which aren't going to kill anyone, but what I was seeing for many women, they were really debilitating. They were really affecting their quality of life. And everyone just kind of treated it, oh, yeah, this is what happens. This is normal. Women have all these problems. But I knew, because in these other cultures, women weren't having all those problems. And so mm-hmm. I became really interested. I mean, I found it, it was very challenging for me. I It was, um, I saw so many uterine health problems doing this research that I started doing research, and I, and I realized, I found that we had the highest rate of hysterectomy in the world, in the U.S., and by age 60, 30% of all women will have had a hysterectomy. They'll have had their uterus removed, and I found out <laughs> that, you know, even and I'm sure you know this very well, even for for conditions and issues that in other other medical systems outside of the US, a hysterectomy wouldn't be the first thing offered because there are often less invasive principles people can or excuse me, less invasive procedures people can use. But not all doctors, but but often women were actually being encouraged to get a hysterectomy or or only given the option of the hysterectomy, even when there were other options that could happen. So I became really interested in this and how we could reverse that trend.
0: You know, you say that it's so true and as an OBGYN and, you know, surgeon, gynecologic surgeon, we learn at the best institutions. I mean, I trained at Emory University, I consider it one of the best institutions in the country. I mean, our toolbox is, you know, is a prescription pad and a knife, right? Mm-hmm. So those are our healing tools. But as we expand, you know, I keep in my in my own practice, working to say, okay, what's the underlying cause? When we balance hormones and decrease inflammation, less than one percent of that individuals actually need hysterectomy. And it's exactly. so empowering. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's so empowering for a woman too. If you if you've had a hysterectomy and you needed a hysterectomy, you know that that was your that was your last resort. And and you know and I was so intrigued to talk with you about um, several key, you know key topics that we're going to be discussing tonight in um, in our talk tonight our uterine health crisis and and that the uterus is important for lifelong wellness and that there are certain things the you know the physiology the biofeedback role that the uterus does play throughout our lifespan in our health and our and our wellness. And the importance of our uterus for sexual pleasure. So I was thrilled because many women are thought, well, you're not reproducing anymore. You don't need your uterus. And that is a very common dialogue in the, in the medical office and in the, in the medical milieu and the, you know, among the best physicians because, you know, we have to rely on what we have in our toolbox. But there's so much we can do to preserve the uterus and the uterus is such a valuable organ to us. So, um, tell us more. Oh, begin. definitely. Yeah, well,
1: and I mean, that is all true, and it's just so, for me, it's so heartening to hear, you know, and to get to meet you and to know how you are actually helping women actually balance the hormones so they can actually heal the underlying cause mm-hmm. and then in many cases not, not have to remove the, the uterus. And like you said, if it in some cases a hysterectomy is going to be the only, you know, really the only good choice someone has, and if that's the case, of course then you know it's then it's the best surgery to choose but in many cases what's happening is women are getting hysterectomies without without actually getting to the underlying balance and then they still have a lot of they still have a lot of exactly. health issues so so that's important so i really commend you for um for looking at that and i think that's really unique and i hope more and more physicians um We'll start, you know, we'll, we'll learn about that because, you know, so many people, I interviewed so many doctors during my research and continue to talk to people. And, you know, doctors, honestly, the medical system, it's very challenging. I mean, most people have, most physicians have 15 minutes to spend with a patient. They're overworked. And, honestly, a lot of this research about the uterus is really new. It was only 20 years ago that any research was, was conducted about the uterus that didn't involve cancer or reproduction. So yeah. all of this research that my book is based on has come out of the, 20, the last 20 years. However, it's actually very strong. And I think, you know, we've got a lot of research that shows that the uterus actually produces hormones. And we, now, we know now a lot more about that, that, that lots of different, you know, organs actually contribute to that, where in the past it was not thought that way. And so those hormones can help lower high blood pressure. They help boost the immune system. They can actually help really boost emotional moods. So, you know, keeping your uterus even past the time you're going to reproduce can really actually help protect the heart. It can help you have a stronger immune system. It can help you feel happier and better. And um, there's just a lot of great hormones that the uterus produces. And then also what you touched on, which I think is very important and, and generally not understood or not known about, is that the uterus actually can contribute to sexual pleasure. And, you know, this seems so, I think for most of us, just completely um, abnormal. Because in the U.S., because we have these really, really high rates of benign uterine problems, such as, you know, just stuff we think of normal, PMS, you know, a lot of women have fibroids. You know, now we see more and more cases of endometriosis, you know, all these different things, perimenopause symptoms that most people just think about their uterus as a source of shame for a lot of people and also mm-hmm. discomfort, right? You know, it's like something that gives them pain. And so we've never thought of it, for, for, most, for most of us in the U.S., that it could be a source of pleasure, but actually we know that you can actually have uterine orgasms, and these uterine orgasms are considered deeply intense, sort of the most intense orgasm You can have even medical scientists describe them as um, basically like mind-blowing. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're scientists. Okay, so we're going to
0: talk about this more because we all want to know how to have one. But, but let's first talk about the hormones that the uterus produces because it's really known as a, uter- a hormone responder versus a, a hormone producer. Right. So and tell it us is, more about that.
1: It definitely is a hormone responder for sure. So, I mean, and and that's one of the things I talk about in the book that's so important. It's really important to balance the hormones in your body and to look at what you're eating and how you exercise and all those things because that's going to affect your whole hormonal balance, and that's going to have a very, very, very powerful effect on the uterus. So there's the uterus is considered to produce, over two hundred different hormones or chemicals and um and so and those and and again, all the scientists who study this, you know this research is really new and they're they're saying you know it may do a lot more that we don 't even know about, mm-hmm. but they there is there's good evidence that beyond reproduction that it actually does help your heart, it helps with the high blood pressure it helps um, it produces endorphins, you know, and before like like physicians have always known, and research has known that yes, these endorphins get produced during childbirth during natural childbirth, but now they're realizing, oh okay, those endorphins are actually produced at other times as well, and so there's you know it's interesting, and honestly it's I love the way Susan Love talks about it because they're there's a lot we don't know you know i mean this is Mm -hmm. this is all new research but what she says it's kind of like the rainforest that someone Mm -hmm. will think oh this plant isn't important so we can cut it out and that's kind of how the uterus has been treated okay if you're not going to have a child or you don't want to have children anymore we'll just cut it out but now Mm -hmm. we're realizing that it actually it's like an ecosystem the bodies are everything's Mm -hmm. connected and it it actually does produce hormones now a lot of physicians i don't think are real familiar with that research, and so you know it's important when people are if if someone's having a uterine issue and if the first thing they hear is to get a hysterectomy and and we're talking about benign problems that you know that don't involve cancer, then mm-hmm. it really is important for um, you know people to to ask what are my alternatives because there are some there are some really important reasons to keep the uterus, and not only for the uterine hormones, but we also know that the uterus enhances ovarian performance. And so by removing the uterus, um, you know, a lot of researchers think that basically the blood supply and sometimes the nerves to the ovaries get impacted very negatively. And so, you know,
0: and so often we we go through menopause.
1: Right, exactly. your
0: uterus removed, yeah.
1: Exactly. So often, even all the research shows that even if you retain your ovaries at a hysterectomy, people are going to go, a lot of times people go through menopause. Sometimes they start immediately. I've interviewed people who started on the yeah. operating table. Sometimes it's within six months or so. And, and all the research shows it's a more challenging menopausal transition to do it that way than you would if you did it naturally without having your uterus removed.
0: Well, I mean that's absolutely true, and I see this clinically time and time again. Is that there's it's a more it's a period of more lability than you would have had. So ups and downs and swings than you would have had either with the uterus, you know, if you if we left the uterus in place, with or without removal of the ovaries. Now I think it's important here too because many women, especially after age 35, are told, you know, hey, let's remove your ovaries so we don't have to go in and remove them again. That way you won't have a risk of ovarian cancer. But again, ovarian cancer is is very very rare, and removing the ovaries doesn't keep you from getting peritoneal cancer or any other cancer, which is a symptom of inflammation and and you know um, miscommunication within the body itself. And so, we want to create bodies hospitable to cancer. We want bodies that are healthy and cells health that communicate well. But removing the ovaries, with all that said, removing the ovaries actually increases your risk of heart disease and mortality and morbidity significantly over leaving the ovaries so we know especially with ovarian research that the ovaries produce hormones in the menopause well into the 60s 70s 80s and that people who have their ovaries retained do better
1: you know and, and so that's,
0: uh, yes you yeah. know it's a great
1: point and you know actually i mean my understanding is you know more women die of heart disease than any other mm-hmm. issue right and and I think part of that probably is, because if you look at it, we know removing the ovaries definitely increases women's risk of heart disease by 20%. Mm-hmm. But actually, even if you At least
0: 20%, if not up to 50%. Up to 40 stuff.
1: to 50, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. I was going to say
1: that's with more conservative, that's with sort of the most conservative, you know, mm-hmm. estimates. But actually, there's some large-scale research that show, that's come out in the last year that shows removing the uterus with women who are younger under 50, just removing the uterus increases heart disease by 20% lifelong risk. Wow. Yes, wow. and then and that was a large scale. I think 300,000 women in Europe. And then if you, the ovaries are removed as well, it's another in between 20 and 40% up onto that. So it's 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 really you know there's a lot of impact. And then the other thing that I didn't speak about is the actual position of the uterus in the body is really important. And when those ligaments get cut because the uterus is held in for for basically evolutionarily evolutionary purposes the mm-hmm. uterus is held in very very solidly to the body and so when the ligaments get cut for a hysterectomy a lot of um you know a lot of times what will happen later on as time goes on are a lot of women and not all women some women do really well after hysterectomies but a lot of women end up having a lot of structural pain a lot of joint pain and other kinds of issues such as that, and um, so that's something to consider as well. And I know you were asking me about the different kinds of hormones. One that I didn't mention that I always really like is that um, that, and this is a more recent research that the um, it the uterus produces a um, hormone that is like it's like cannabis. They call it like pleasure-producing chemical that it, and it, it's similar to the compounds that are actually found in dark chocolate and mm-hmm. marijuana. And, um, I mean, it's sort of funny to think about it, but it's like what's considered this bliss hormone. And so that this, I think, is probably plays part of that role in sexual pleasure, that there really are these kind of blissful hormones that are produced by the uterus. And there's also a lot of just other kinds of endorphins, these feel-good hormones. So often we don't think of it in that way but we know from the from from really what is just the beginning of the research to understand this that it actually produces some really important hormones and chemicals that can that can help you feel really good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean I it's amazing because again that's new research and that's not the standard of care by any means and that's not being taught in in universities, et cetera, I mean, really this is groundbreaking information. And I love how you say that the uterus is really part of our internal ecosystem. It's so important. And if there's a symptom, if there's a problem, it's telling us, okay, well, you know what, there's a problem, you need to pay attention, something's out of balance, and we need to correct this right away. And, um, you know, and I think that's so important. The uterus, the ovaries are communicating. um, and you know, I didn't put a slide up of what the uterus looks like um, on our on our little webinar for those of you that are watching um, on your computer. But and, you know, I always give the example to patients like if you take a pear, you turn, you know, the stem end down, that would be like coming through the vagina. And the you know, the bulb of the pear, if you you know, it looks like the uterus and I'm really about the size of a a a, a uterus for the most part. And if you cut the uterus in half, I mean, if you cut the pear in half, where the seeds are in the center and just that thin lining looks like the inside of a uterus, so no surprise, pears are very good for the uterus, good for the womb, but also, but you can see where those seeds are, that's really where would be implantation of of the fetus, that's the the inside of the uterus, so the... The uterus looks like that, and within the uterus, the walls, the muscle, the outside of the uterus or the inside, can grow fibroids, can be polyps or skin tags, or um, you know there can be abnormalities because the uterus is also always changing. It it expands and contracts, expands and contracts. It the internal lining gets thickened um, as your period gets closer. We call it the luteal phase and then sheds and is then again, you know, waiting for the next implantation or pregnancy to occur. So it's constantly expanding and contracting. So any organ or any vessel or any muscle that is constantly changing each month, like the uterus is, is, is susceptible to abnormalities or miscommunication cells. So we see the fibroids or the polyps, et cetera, grow. But it's always a symptom of something underlying, And so, you know, for women listening who have been told you have fibroids or or cysts or you're struggling with your period or pain or cramping, you know, it's it's your body's telling you something's out of balance, and the solution's not necessarily. It may be, but it's not necessarily in removing your uterus. So we wanna, we do want to do everything possible that we can do to recreate that balance, and recreate the beautiful ecosystem internally as well. Um, Eve, in your research, what have you found to be some of the disruptors for the uterus? Well, you know, I mean, certainly.
1: One of, the big, one of the big things, well, we know there's several things, you know, but nutrition. So if there's, we've got a lot of, you know, chemicals and toxins and hormones in our food supply, and so those are big disruptors. And then also our sedentary lifestyle has a major impact, honestly, because that can really disrupt the alignment of the uterus. And so what we see in cultures where women don't have as many of these uterine uh, issues or problems is that they are moving a lot more, and the way they move and even the way they sit actually, when they do sit, actually helps the uterus stay in alignment and helps not just the uterus but the ovaries and the fallopian tubes and then, you know, the entire pelvic core be much more in alignment, where often we, I think 90% of all Americans uh, report back problems. And so often when there are back issues going on there also the uterus may also be out of alignment and that can that can affect it of course and then environmental toxins are um can be a huge issue there are you know the endocrine disruptors the chemicals that actually disrupt and send different messages to the to the hormones in our bodies so that that's a huge piece as well And then one of the major disruptors, and this is, you know, this is one that we can all do something about. I mean, each one is something we can do something about, but one that for some people we haven't thought about and can sometimes we can, you know, maybe do something a little faster than maybe um, detoxifying our environment, but um, is stress. Stress is a big Mm -hmm. hormone disruptor and has a huge impact on uterine health, whether you're looking at menstruation and PMS, or you're, you know, looking at sort of reproductive issues, or later on during perimenopause and menopause, it's it's a really important area to
0: focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those are those are key issues. So in in nutrition, what are some of the key nutrients that we should have in our body to feed our uterus? Nutri- yeah. Feed our uterus. Well, one way to really
1: focus on this is to think of foods that are that are helpful to eat because really, you know, we can um, – the more we focus on whole foods, lots of fresh vegetables and fresh fruits, um, getting healthy fats, plenty of healthy fats, because a lot of times as women, you know, we were told a couple of decades ago, oh, fats are bad for us. And so a lot of people, a lot of women cut out all fats, but actually there are some really healthy fats that that we need – and, um, you know, so getting a really nice um, variety of fresh fruits and vegetables, particularly um, like leafy greens are really fantastic, and um, vegetables that have a lot of fiber in them, actually, you know, fruits and vegetables and other whole, whole grains, high fiber. Fiber actually goes through the body, and actually it helps sweep hormones that you want to release out of your body. So a whole whole food diet that has high fiber will be very, very helpful. Um, As far as different fruits, you know, like the the watermelon, um, papaya, all those that have lycopene, that's a really helpful one for people who are having issues with fibroid um, problems at all. And um, then also getting with, just to make sure we start balancing our hormones every single day, actually getting a good breakfast every day that involves some protein and a complex carbohydrate um, if if possible, and um, maybe with some, some whole grains, and that could be, you know, it could be an apple and hummus. It could be um, you could get a, an omelet with vegetables. You could do oatmeal with nuts, fruit. I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated, but you do want... A a breakfast that is going to actually fill you up, satisfy you, and also help balance your blood sugar, because that has a huge Mm -hmm. impact on hormones. Mm -hmm. And then for people, a lot of women who have um, uterine issues, and it it depends, but with a a lot of people, one of the major things we see, say let's take PMS, is often real high um, processed food and high sugar Mm -hmm. content. And so as you can start adding in the whole foods and start decreasing sugar and processed foods with a huge transformation, a really, really big difference with uterine processes and uterine health. And so that that has a major impact. Also, for often women who are experiencing, say, endometriosis, and um, and in some cases fibroids, Cutting down on conventional meat and dairy can have a really big impact. And so if you still want to do um, animal products, seeing what you can do to buy hormone-free animal products, both whether that be yogurt or also if you eat meat, and that can have a very, very big impact. For women with endometriosis, you know, one of the things that's often recommended that that I highly recommend, and I've seen a lot of people have great results with this, is to actually just go off dairy altogether for about six mm-hmm. to eight weeks and 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 see what happens with that. And then for some people with endometriosis, it's gonna be going off grains for um and wheat for about six to eight weeks and to see what happens mm-hmm. with that. And uh, and, and just notice people keeping track of your symptoms, and a lot of people will notice a, um, a big change with that. So, you know, the easiest ways to do this, because we know with, um, with uterine health in general, I mean, magnesium is really important, calcium, um, B vitamins, A vitamins, C vitamins, you know, all of those are very, very important. So the more you can actually look at whole foods, a lot of different, kind of a rainbow of vegetables, rainbow color vegetables, so greens, Mm -hmm. reds, all that. And um, if you're going to eat grains, whole grains like brown rice, um, millet, quinoa, you know, rather than a lot of processed food, and then decreasing the sugar Um, for a lot of women, depending on what's going on, decreasing salt and caffeine can also really help. I mean, if people are having bloating and those kinds of issues, decreasing processed food and decreasing salt in general can can help a lot. So um, I also recommend that people – if if folks like, either eat fermented food, and um, that can be something like miso, um, soup, the Japanese tradition. It can also, for some people, it can be yogurt, but I, it kind of depends what's going on with women, because for some folks, the dairy may not really be as um, helpful. And then it can also, you know, I think more and more people are starting to actually ferment their own food. And what we find with that is we get those really great probiotics for the intestinal tract. You can also buy probiotics, you know, and and take them in the morning, usually keep them refrigerated. And because the more we can actually establish a healthy um, digestive tract, that's really going to help your body get all those nutrients. Because often if people are, um, if someone's having, if your digestive system is pretty compromised, Sometimes even though you're starting to eat better food, you may not be actually assimilating all the nutrients. So the more you can do to actually really support your digestive tract through some fermented food or through acidophilus, that can be really helpful as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you make a great point because, you know, the uterus is connected through our vagina. It's part of our extension of our our gut mucosa, really, um, when we look at vaginal health in general, vaginal health is important to uterine health and that whole ecosystem, healthy bacteria in the vagina. And, you know, um, I think it's important that um, when we you mentioned dairy related to endometriosis and I hadn't actually made that, that connection before. I know in general we kind of say, you know, uh, no milk except your mother's breast milk, right? We're the only species that eats another species. Milk, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really not um, innate to us. So I was wondering, what about in other cultures? Do they um, have dairy as a, you know, as, as part of their sta- staple? In some of the more tribal cultures, most
1: other cultures do not. Now, what's interesting? I mean, in, in Europe, there's a lot of endometriosis, and in Europe, there's a lot of milk, um, a lot of dairy products, and that's where a lot of that that dairy connected to endometriosis research comes from. There's actually some really great research out of England that talks about this. And it's been going on for years, and I generally find that OBGYNs in the U.S. are not aware of it. It's something that really, somehow it hasn't really made it to the U.S. that much. But, you know, in most other, in a a lot of other non-Western societies, milk and dairy products are not eaten beyond mother's milk. Uh, One -hmm. exception to that is India. Um, You know, in, in in some societies in India, dairy is eaten. You know, where there's some vegetarian societies, um, that dairy is eaten a lot. But um I know when I was in China years ago it was so interesting I found out that um at that point at least the Chinese often referred to, to people from the US and Europe as people who smell like milk because they, <laughs> they thought we smelled like milk because we eat so much dairy. And um so, you know, a lot of Asian cultures, a lot of indigenous um traditional cultures do not consume much dairy and Certainly, especially in the case of endometriosis, and sometimes in the case with fibroid. I mean, fibroid often is just fibroids are often an excessive estrogen um, issue, and, and many of the uterine health issues are excessive estrogen issues. And because there's, you know, because most the cows in the U.S. have these are given hormones that mm-hmm. our our meat and dairy have a lot of additional hormones in it. So it has a, that that right there has a lot of negative impact on uterine health.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I definitely agree with that, and I think it's a big realization because um, dairy has become a staple, bread and cheese, and those are the two things that when you're suffering from any health crisis, you want to avoid those two things, so no gluten, no dairy. But in general, you know, I, I say the cure to cancer is in prevention, right? Oh, yeah. So, so. You know, doing as much as possible to create a body that's inhospitable to cancer, that is truly healthy and and well, is so is so critical. So, hence that is why the U.S. is experiencing a uterine health crisis. Um, definitely, the disruptors of optimal uterine health, like you've addressed, nutritional factors, stress, environmental toxins, and sedentary lifestyles. So you know, you in your book you always talk about a positive self-image includes our relationship with our uterus. Can you um, talk about that a little bit more about the relationship with the uterus? Because how many women? I mean, really, how many of you listening think about you know, well, hi uterus, how are you doing today? You know, what's my relationship? What's my <laughs> communication? Mostly it's negative. It's like, okay, I have my period. Oh, you you know, gosh, I'm you know dealing with this again. Versus that loving affection and oh, I love you, uterus. Good morning. So what do you, you, know, how can we um, create a, well, number one, how can we create a positive relationship with our uterus? And, and it is, you're absolutely right, it's so important. Well, you know, and
1: I talk about this a lot in the book, and, you know, really creating the positive relationship with our uterus, but also with our bodies. Because, you know, um, being a woman in, in, you know, Western society, uh, there's a lot of, Stress and pressure for us about our bodies. It's really for most people. It's a very stressful relationship. The relationship we have with our body. It is not generally joyous or pleasure. You know, for for most for most women. And when I um I just I'm just going to give this example because I think it's it's sort of an amazing example. It's how I begin my book. It's years ago I was invited as an anthropologist to go to the um, apache ceremony that in in apache society when girls start their period that year it won't be immediately but that year their families and their their community has this huge ritual and it is the biggest ritual the apaches have so it's bigger than any wedding it's bigger than the fourth of july it's you know they don't do christmas but i mean It is, I mean, some of them may, but, I mean, it is the biggest ritual they have, and it's when girls start their period, and it is um, a week long. And so the girls, and I actually got to see a double one. It was two cousins, and and two girls had both started their periods in the same year, and so it was a double ceremony, and it's amazing. There were hundreds, if not thousands of people there, and they come out, and um, for, you know, this week, these girls were the complete center of this ritual, which was was held outside. And basically, the Apache believe that menstruation connects women to the creative power of the universe. And a lot of indigenous um, cultures believe this that that women actually, because we can create, you know, because we can create life, and we have that powerful that power they believe were really powerful. And so, and they also believe that menstruation on its own, that menstrual blood, a lot of societies believe that that's really
0: powerful, you know. And so this the ceremony was... About- well, it, that's interesting because, you know, we're finding in science that menstrual blood contains stem cells, and that's true to the regeneration of life. Exactly. So...
1: Yeah, it's it's and it's been considered. in Indigenous cultures throughout time have considered menstrual blood extremely powerful. And um, so these girls, they would dance, and it was the Apache um, religion has goddess, you know, goddesses as well as gods. And so they would actually, they actually became an embodied the goddess, you know, this this one goddess changing woman, and were able to heal everyone. For, so for a couple of days everyone in their community who needed healing came and the girls literally embodied the goddess and laid their hands on these um, people in their community to heal. And and it was an amazing ceremony. They each get a godmother and there's these exchange of gifts, truckloads of gifts are exchanged between the girl's family and the godmother's family. But so, you know, by the end I thought, wow, what if this would have happened to me when I started my period? Right.
0: I would have felt different, right?
1: We'd all feel different. I mean, mine it was like, here's some tampons don't say anything
0: you know I mean, well, right don't make a mess and clean up after yourself
1: <laughs> exactly yeah that's exactly how it was it was there was there was not a celebration there was it was just kind of hide it basically you know and i think that's how most people you know most people experience it I thought wow what if there was this massive party and you know you you were able to heal people and all these things so So that got me thinking, that would be a really, that would definitely change your relationship to your body and to your uterus. You'd think of it differently. And in our society, like I mentioned before, I mean, there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of um, pain and and negative, you know, just negativity associated with uterus. And so the more we can do to actually change our relationship with our body and appreciate, because if you just think about it simply, our bodies are miraculous that we, you know, that the trillions of cells that each of us are have joined together and can stand up and do all the sorts of things we do, it's really a miracle. And our bodies are doing all sorts of miraculous things all the time. So the more we can get in touch with really appreciating our bodies and also getting in touch with what's happening with our bodies, you know, and I talk about in the book, I talk about a lot of different ways to establish um, a healthy relationship with your uterus and with your body. But part of it is is tuning in, listening, you know, kind of just taking some time to connect to your body. Because a lot of times, you know, when we're having health issues, what I believe is each woman's, you know, each woman really has the wisdom to know what's best for her. And so the more we can take that time and connect with our, our bodies and connect with our uterus and really start to develop that relationship. and. In the book, I talk about ways to journal to kind of get an idea, what is your mindset about your uterus? Do you think it's this horrible thing that causes you a lot of problems? Or is there a way you could start to actually appreciate it and see, oh, wait, you know, if I start to take care of it, maybe I can change how I eat in certain ways or do some things, you know, what if I could lower my stress? And the nice thing is, if we start to think more positively about our bodies, even if it's around our uterus say if someone's having a lot of pms or a lot of perimenopause symptoms like wherever you are in the spectrum if you start to think about start to really shift and start to consider how can i appreciate my body how can i feel positively about it then that actually lowers our stress as well because you start to connect with it and find a a nice experience and so that will lower your stress that will help you feel better. It will help your uterus be more healthy and your many of your body systems be more healthy and balance your hormones, which in turn will, again, help you feel even better. So it really is worth taking the time and getting connected and seeing, you know, what are the ways we can transform our relationships with our bodies and appreciate our bodies. and Because most of us have spent decades being very judgmental about our bodies And what I find when I work with with clients is as soon as um, we start really appreciating our bodies and start transforming that relationship,
0: that people really start to feel a whole lot better. Right. I mean, I agree with you. I think that... um, Positive self-talk is so huge. I was just thinking yesterday, I'm like, I need to create the Ten Commandments in the positive tense (laughs) instead of thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt, you know, (laughs) keep everything in the positive tense. And I think it's really important to phrase things positively, especially when it comes to our bodies and and that we love it and honor it for its purpose. But I do want to put my 16-year-old who walked in um, on the spot here and she's eating strawberries with gluten-free crackers and bananas and slathering them in Nutella. So as, as a 16-year-old Amanda, you know what is what is the impression of you have and your peers have about your uterus, your womb and your period and your cycle. The deer in the headlight look. So totally, <laughs> it's totally giving me the deer in the headlight look. You don't like periods. You don't like periods. No. Why? Because they're annoying. True. So how can we like how can I have my daughter have more positive self image about or about like how can we you know, what can we do with this generation coming up who's just starting their periods and and there is there's such a strong negativity about about them.
1: Well, one thing you could do is actually, you know, talk to your daughter or if people have nieces, you know, or any young girls in their life, talk to them about, you know, how how important their bodies are because a lot of what we hear is really negative and is about, oh, my God, I've got my period, I've, it's a hassle, I, you know, I'm a, I've got to hide it, one thing going on, you know, I want to make sure I don't have any leaking or any kind of thing like that, but also if people are feeling you know not feeling well and so one way is to start to talk you know in in many of these traditional societies and even like japanese societies what they do is they give gifts to girls when they start their periods and so if you can start to actually honor it even if you didn't do that initially you know do it now it's never too late and actually talk to them what are some what are some positive attributes what are some positive qualities that Um, we can get by connecting to our bodies in that way. You know, a lot of people, if you actually start to tune in and notice with periods, you know, a lot of cultures believe, and I talk about this a lot in my book, you know, that that cycle actually helps you tap into more creativity, you know, that we kind of think of it in the negative, oh, mood swings or whatnot. But when hormones are imbalanced and the menstrual cycle is appreciated, as it is in many cultures, it's considered a great, just amazing source of creativity it's like what's considered that it that it literally taps women into the creative energy of the world of the universe and so if you find a way that would be authentic for you and that your your daughter or niece can hear that and ta- and have a discussion about that like how it really can tap can tap us into our power as girls and women because In a lot of these traditional societies, and that's what I thought was so cool when I moved to West Africa, I realized, and the same thing in this, you know, Apache ritual, is in a lot of these traditional societies, they believe women are really powerful and that that these bodily transitions, whether it's menstruation or with menopause, they, you know, believe it, it gets us more in touch with our intuition, our creativity, these kinds of gifts. And so if we can talk about that,
0: that's really helpful. I think that's lovely, and I love how you talk about how it ties us into our creativity, and I love the Apache ritual too, and that you know connecting connecting to spirit that this is a time of of blessings of potential I mean the uterus you know the menses I think is a time of potential and and so um understanding the uh roller coaster that it may put you on and being able to use. Um, nutrition and, and um, environment and exercise to your benefit versus creating more problem and then being in touch with your creative self. I, I think that's beautiful. Uh, you know, when you talk about it, we had a question come in um, I want to bring up. I know we're already running low on time, but I definitely want to get to um, the discussion about the role of the uterus in sexual pleasure. When we had a question come in uh, from a young lady, she says, I am 38 years old and I've had my uterus removed. How can I compensate for that? So there's a
1: lot of things that people can do. And, you know, like I mentioned, one-third of all women in the U.S. are going to have their uterus removed. So it's very, very common. And if that has happened, one of the best ways to do um, is to really focus on, how to support your adrenal glands? Because if if she still has her ovaries, her ovaries will you know still be producing hormones, and even if the ovaries have been removed, the adrenal glands will still be producing hormones. And so you know the adrenal glands are little little glands um, right above the kidneys in the in the back of the body, and um, they produce a lot of really important hormones for us. And one of the things we can do for um, to support our adrenal glands is to actually reduce stress. And so to find ways to reduce stress, because so often what happens is that, you know, a lot of women have very, very high levels of stress in our society. I know I get like that. I mean, we all get like that. And so, um, because we live in this really fast-paced modern world. So the more we can do to actually take time and to actually, you know, if you can go ahead and actually find what works for you for reducing stress, is it, Laughing, watching silly movies, getting together with friends. Is it um, an exercise you love like, you know, walking or dancing or yoga or something like breathing and visualization or a combination of any of those things? But really focus on um, reducing stress is a really great thing. And also you want to make sure um, that you get plenty of healthy fats. I mentioned this for uterine health in general, but also if you've had a hysterectomy, you know. And so those would be like omega-3 essential fatty acids, and um, those can be found in walnuts and avocados, seafood, if you eat that. And just a really good balance of um, of other um, healthy fats can be great. Evening primrose oil is good. Eating with, um, you know, could cook with raw coconut oil is a really great fat to get. And also getting, making sure you're getting all your essential vitamins, you know, the A, the B, C, E, magnesium is um, great as far as the minerals, zinc, calcium. And so, um, I recommend for everyone who's had um, a hysterectomy to also just to really support your liver, because your liver's gonna, um, help in Cleansing your body and cleansing toxins, and so you can use herbs such as dandelion or milk thistle to strengthen your liver. And um, there's also some there's some really great herbal uh, tinctures you can use for hormones. And I recommend that you know, just like your disclaimer said early on, Anna, that everyone actually talk to an herbalist or your doctor. But um, some women. Some women do really well using herbs like black cohosh. Um, ginseng can be helpful. Also for women um, who may need some support with their libido after hysterectomy, wild yam cream can be very helpful to use to repli- uh, replenish vaginal tissue. So, um, And there's a lot of different herbs you can use that can really help create hormonal balance if you've had your uterus removed. So. Um, Following a whole foods diet like we talked about before is is very helpful and um, really limiting refined foods, sugars and unhealthy fats and trying to get a lot more um, of your food from vegetables and legumes and whole grains and um, plant based protein. so you want you know you want to ta- you want to follow what we talked about before balancing the blood sugar levels and really trying to um to just create a lot of hormonal balance and strength. So, yeah. um, and, then, and then, you know, then there's the important, you know, the stress reduction, the, the movement and body work. And and I just think with stress re- reduction, again, it's so important, rather than to kind of do it like a job, okay, I've got to reduce my stress to help myself, to really find what you enjoy. And mm-hmm. um, I talk about it a lot in my book, and Anna, you know, we talked about this some, but taking the time to connect with your body and, you know, for the person who asked the question, to really start to get in touch with her body and to, to you know, whether through journaling or meditation and find out really what is best, what what does your body want to you to do to support it? And I think you'll actually get that, into, you know, intuitive information.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. I think, you know, it's listening to your body, listening, again, once your uterus is removed, it's, the uterus wasn't necessarily the cause of the problem to begin with, so still working on your physiology and balancing your body and balancing your hormones. I'm a big believer in progesterone, naturally, uh, whether you have a uterus or not. I definitely like the herb chaseberry as well.
1: Chaseberry, right,
0: um, yes. Yeah, and big believer in GLA, gamma linoleic acid, like you think from oil, so you know a hundred percent on board with all of that and then just loving you know loving you you know we so said love our bodies for where they are all our perfections and imperfections and um and just accepting you know accepting our you know, accepting our body the way it is and looking for the message that it's trying to deliver you know that was trying to be delivered that led us up to the hysterectomy and just you know getting to the root the underlying issues and um, any underlying um relational emotional other concerns too that relate to that uh, so i think that's really important eve i i know you have a um a gift for our listeners so i want you to give that web page and then i want you to talk in the last a couple minutes about um the role of the uterus in sexual pleasure so uh you have a, a menopause bonus for our our audience tonight Yeah, so
1: on um, my website, I have four free videos that are like a mini class on perimenopause and menopause, and it's how to thrive naturally during perimenopause and menopause and beyond. And they're they're a lot of fun. They go through a lot of great information. And you can access them on my website, which is www.eveag.com, and I'm going to spell that out, EVEAGEE.com forward slash free video. So it's www.eveagee.com forward slash free video. And then you'll go there, and um, the videos are there. There's a lot of great information about how to um, create your healthy mindset. And then I also go over a lot of great stress reduction techniques and the six most important um, myths about menopause you need to know to protect your health, and there's one video that that totally covers nutrition, and um, it's a lot of really wonderful information. Now I know we just have a minute or two, and so for um, for sexual pleasure, you know, basically I think one of the the best ways to get um, to really tap into that energy of the uterus and sexual pleasure is by using breathing. Because the more we can we can tap into that. Uterine orgasms are talked about as sort of waves of pleasure, and so to start, you know, just to start off might even be you know on your own, like not when you're engaged in sex, but just to actually connect with your uterus and um, or that area of your body and breathe into it, breathe into it deeply. You know, I recommend a breath, and I talk about this in my book, but using a breathing process that's in and out through the mouth, and just start connecting with that area of your body and start connecting with your pleasure. And then you can use that same technique during any kind of pleasurable um, situation, whether it be sex or foreplay, really connecting to that area of your body, breathing deeply, and letting yourself breathe into the pleasure there in the uterus and in that region, in that region of your body, and for a lot of people, that will, that will start to, um, you know, create something you can start to develop and tap into, and um, can really be pretty amazing. And I know we're we're right at we're right at the time that's up, so I don't want to um, go over Anna.
0: No, keep going. If we could take a couple more minutes, keep going. <laughs> so um, valuable, yeah. So, you know, one thing that's great to do... We're not going to let you go tonight, but we're just take a couple more of your minutes. I would love that. Thank you. Sure.
1: One thing is to really, you know, I think for a lot of women, because it has been a part of their body where they have a lot of shame, you know, a lot of people have a lot of shame or pain or trauma there, um, and this is especially true if anyone's experienced any kind of sexual trauma or um, or rape or incest, anything like that, particularly for anyone who's, And and that's, you know, one out of four or one out of three women in the U.S., so that's a lot of people, to just really take some time to get in touch with that area of your body through breathing and to just open up that energy of pleasure there because for a lot of people it's not an energy we're used to connecting there. And so, like I said, I recommend doing that alone. And then after you've done that alone for a bit, and it kind of depends where you are, if it's someone who's had some trauma you may want to spend some more time doing that, you know, connecting with that. Um, and and obviously if anything comes up, then you know, seeking seeking help and support in other ways. But if you've already if you've already done that, if you've already gotten help and support in other ways, then just doing some of that breathing there and then start connecting um, in tantra there's tantra practice that focuses really on the uterus and uterine orgasm. And so just as you you know close your eyes, connect to that area of your body, maybe with your hand either rubbing or tapping, and just thinking of sort of waves of pleasure and focusing on your your uterine core, your area there, and um, really letting yourself start to open up in any way that feels pleasurable and right to you. And I recommend playing with that with a really open heart and a really open atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And then bringing that in if you have a partner to um, intimate relationship with your partner. So you're already kind of getting in touch with that on your own, getting comfortable with it. And then when you're with your partner, you know, the same sort of thing. Allow yourself to connect to your uterine core and just imagine those waves of pleasure and letting things open up there. And... um, If it's something you can stay with and do, you know, on multiple occasions, a lot of women will start to have a really juicy sexual experience with that. And so it's something, you know, I think of it as really opening your heart, going with it lightheartedly, and just exploring. You know, no expectations and really using the breath, deep, deep diaphragmic breathing. So you're breathing down into your belly, and you really imagine yourself like breathing into the pleasure in your uterine core and opening that up and letting that expand and amplify.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that that's helpful important. and do you have any questions yeah.
0: about that? That is so That is so incredibly helpful because, you know, right there that's a sensate focus exercise. I mean, it is really bringing, breathing the breath, breath of life, forgiveness, healing into, into our womb, into our maternal, into our uterus, into our feminine. And anyway, we can open up those channels of beautiful lovely light powerful feminine energy is so 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 important and i love how you say that you know open up into any way that is pleasurable and feels right to you and that you you know stay with an open heart and be lightheartedly and playfully and you know i'm big on the guiltless and shamelessly you know is to just experience every every cell of your body, every organ in your body and and the pleasure that that can bring you, and just through breath, just through acknowledgement, recognizing in that open channel of communication, that's part of every part of our body is connected to another part, and then we breathe through that connection with our breath, and um this exercise is so powerful for feminine energy uh, what? You know where did you learn this, and how have you experienced and is this a traditional practice?
1: yeah, well, I have studied um i actually apprenticed with a native American shaman in my twenties and then i have um studied with a lot of healers from different traditions around the world, and so breathing mm-hmm. is uh is something I have um worked with for almost two decades, and so it comes out of that and it really comes out of that. You know, feminine, getting in touch with the feminine within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it comes out of the Tantra tradition, traditions for sure and connecting with that energy. And as we use that and really focus on on the uterus, on that area, and even for women who no longer have a uterus, you know, who've had a hysterectomy, mm-hmm. they can still focus right. on because the energy is still there. Exactly. It is extreme. And and doing it with with no judgment and no... think a lot of times um women go into to any kind of sexual um experience like oh i've got to look you know you talk you hear people are saying oh i've got to look good or i've you know that is not it's Mm -hmm. not about how you look it is totally about how you feel and so Mm -hmm. close your eyes and don't don't think (laughs) of (laughs) any of the superficial how i look and just really use the breath and the breath can take you so deep into any kind of feeling, and so in this situation, we'd be focused on pleasure and bliss, and we know from the uterus research that the uterus actually produces all these blissful hormones, and so
0: mm-hmm. just
1: really focusing on that energy and allowing, I think, you know, one one aspect of feminine energy is the aspect of allowing And so allowing yourself, and one of the other really big ones is receiving, allowing yourself to receive that pleasure and allowing yourself to feel the pleasure, which often as women we don't, you know, we don't allow that. And so just really opening up, breathing into that, which is going to amplify it always. The breath always amplifies whatever we focus on. And Mm -hmm. it can really be, as you know, I mean, as scientists say, mind-blowing. So play around with it. and. You know, and experience the waves, and keep on breathing into it, and and do it in a way that's right for you.
0: yeah and and just let it be your experience. You know, just completely your experience, however it feels to you. And each time it may be different. You may be opening up different aspects of your femininity of you maybe channels that have been blocked or have been buried, in essence. So opening that up is important. I want to give just quickly a story about a a patient, a a lovely young woman I saw in her uh, late 20s who had been to doctor after doctor due to pelvic pain, endometriosis, ovarian cyst, and just like trouble, trouble in her womb. And and here I saw her come into my office, and it was just so compelling, brought on me, and I asked her, I said, how was your relationship with your mother? And she said, oh, my mother left me when I was, you know, five years old. I have two children. And and so being able to you know sometimes make the connection that our our womb is our maternal connection also that it holds an essence of our relationship a maternal mother daughter connection mother son connection that's had such an important relational energetic area through just that you know you know whatever God inspired me to ask her that question but in that in that. In, as she's worked through that relationship with her mother, who's now become part of her life, her uterine problems, her pain, et cetera, has gone away. Of course, we did hormone balancing, detoxification um you know and and got rid of inflammation that too but i think I really attribute it to i attribute her healing to um forgiveness allowance, receiving um and receiving her mother back into her life too, and also recognizing that. That she's a, you know, she's a, a beautiful mother and she's a good mother to her sons and, and just a lot, la- letting go of that fear too. And I think where we hold our relation, where we hold our maternal connection within our uterus is also very powerful. And so giving pleasure back to, especially bringing pleasure into an area that may be associated with pain through this breathing exercise is, you know, without a doubt, low risk and, um, probably just tremendous um, benefit from this exercise. So, Eve, I thank you so much for sharing this with us. Have you found that also energetically in relationship with the, um, with women in their womb? Oh,
1: definitely, yes. I mean, all sorts of the, – the uterus actually, you know, in the chakra system is all about relationships, right? And so that's mm-hmm. where we hold a lot of the energy of relationships. And so it is extraordinarily important – and getting really clear about your relationships with other people and you know and like what you talked about that forgiveness and um opening that love and it is really really profound and so that's when we start you know and you can do that breathing into the uterus not just for sexual pleasure but and i go into all sorts of exercises in my book but just to get in touch with with that energy there that's stored there and so often there is a lot of guilt and pain and suffering and the more we can let go of that and open up to freedom and our power and our purpose, uh, it can be very, very profound for women.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I want to thank you so much for um, being on the call tonight. I want to refer everyone to your website again. And um, it is Eve, dot com and to get your special video bonus it's backslash video Is free it video, video. or video no. it's free actually, video it's, yeah it's it's um yeah forward slash free video and video free video, video. and you'll see there where you can um get this beautiful Radiance During Perimenopause, Menopause, and Beyond, and also your um, Rejuvenating and Transformational MP3s from your book. And I want to refer um, everyone also to your book, which is The Uterine Health Companion, A Holistic Guide to Lifelong Wellness. So if that's not on your bookshelf, ladies, get that on your bookshelf. And so I... I, (laughs) I think. Oh, we never even talked about your hot flash mob. Oh my goodness, this Eve, you're going to have to come back on the call. Eve, Eve has been doing these hot flash mobs, and hopefully, we'll be seeing her on Doctor Oz. Can we say that yet? So, well, hopefully, it, eventually it's not official, we'll but
1: we we hope to we hope to be on there sometime in the yeah. near future.
0: I I think that that's going to be great. So you know how there's these mob scenes of of um, go ahead and explain that. Eve, just the hot flash mob that you're doing
1: well the the hot flash mob is a flash mob movement so flash mobs are where people come together and they break into dance together and it's a spontaneous event but the the dance is actually choreographed in, and for in our case it's on our, our on our website com. and um, so we invented this my co-founder Jeanette DePatti and Knight we dreamed this up as a way to raise awareness about perimenopause and menopause and to really celebrate the strength and beauty of menopausal women and to help us support each other and have fun and have a way to actually you know like i talked about in a lot of these in a lot of these traditional cultures menopause is celebrated it's considered this great you know wonderful thing and in a lot of those cultures menstruation is celebrated very publicly and so this is a way to actually claim our power and have fun together and Celebrate and support um, each other and the menopause transition or going into perimenopause. So it's been a lot of fun, and um, we you can you can actually go to our website and it's www.thehotflashmob.com. And uh, if if you want to lead a hot flash mob near you, and we've had them in many places in the U.S. and now we've got people in in um, Australia and Britain and people all over the place planning hot flash mobs. so you can do one with your friends, and you can go on and find the video. You sign up with us; just let, let us know, and we'll let people know you're going to do it there. Um, or you can just do it with a group of friends, and it's super fun. It's called the Menopause Mambo, is our dance, and it is really fun, and it's
0: super easy, and anyone can do it. That sounds so much fun. So I definitely want to get in one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna come join your next one. So keep me informed, keep us updated. Visit us on um, our you know my Facebook page, QuebecaHealth.com. And um, visit Dr. A.G. 's website, dot com ecom dot ecom sorry, E-V-E-A-G-E-E.com. So um, visit Eve there, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you all for listening tonight. Thank you, Dr. A. G, for being with us. Good luck to you. God bless you, and, and keep on in your work and, and keep us in, informed. And I look forward to connecting with you again. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone.